A place for confession. That's the topic today on Him We Proclaim with John Fonville. And thanks so much for joining us for some gospel-centered good news. If you're just joining in, we're in a series about historic Christian worship called The Gift Giver and His Gathered Guests. God being the gift giver and believers being the gathered guests. All have sinned, right? And how we respond to hearing God's word is everything. Do we turn away or get on our knees and confess? Let's talk more about this response. Here's John with the message called A Place for Confession, Part 3. 1 John chapter 1, beginning in verse 5, all the way to chapter 2, verse 2. He says, This is the message we have heard from him and proclaimed to you, that God is light and in him is no darkness at all. If we say we have fellowship with him while we walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus his son cleanses us from all sin. If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say we have not sinned, we make him a liar, and his word is not in us. My little children, I am writing these things to you so that you may not sin. But if anyone does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. He is the propitiation for our sins, and not for ours only, but also for the sins of the whole world. So let's just review from last week. Every Lord's Day, we said that the liturgy, the way we worship, the order of the service, proclaims the unfolding story of redemption. It tells to us week after week and rehearses with us week after week the whole gospel drama. And we said that if the worship service is to faithfully retell this biblical story of redemption, then we have to be confronted with the conflict in the story because we know that the essential piece of any good story is the conflict. So at this point in the divine service, when we come to the reading of the law, the public reading of the law and the confession, we are confronted with the conflict in the story of redemption, which is the fall of man. The Apostle Paul says in Romans chapter 5, verse 12, he says, Sin came into the world through one man, Adam, and death through sin, and so death spread to all men because of all sinned. And so when we hear God's law read to us publicly in the church, we are coming face to face with the conflict that is in the story. And God's law demands us, it confronts us with demands of something that we're not able to do. What is that? To love God perfectly and to love our neighbor perfectly. And so what is our response? Our response is, is that we agree with God. We confess our sins. That's what confession means. It means to agree with. We confess, we agree with God's just sentence that is against us for our sins. Were we not under his covenant mercies in Christ? So if there's no place for this confession in public worship, there's no conflict in the story of redemption. Because confession, you see, is the proper response of God's gathered guests in the hearing of the demands of God's law. New life by the Holy Spirit produces genuine recognition and confession of sin. It produces sorrow for it. 
Yet, the good news is this, is that God doesn't leave his people crushed under his law. The story doesn't end there. Not only does a good story have conflict, but a good story has resolution. And this brings us to the point of the service that we come to, which is called absolution, because absolution always follows confession. Absolution or a declaration of pardon. What is absolution? Absolution is simply an announcement that you, a penitent believer who is confessing sin, are forgiven by God for Christ's sake alone. Absolution brings us to the transitional point in the story of redemption. It brings us to the transitional point in the worship service, in the liturgy. It, it brings us from judgment to grace. You can think of it as the turning point in a court trial. After the judge has fully convicted and sentenced the criminal who is guilty for breaking the law, then all of a sudden the story turns and the judge finds a way to acquit the criminal of his crime and not only to acquit him, but to be able to pronounce that criminal a perfect lawkeeper. It's the turning point in a story that J.R.R. Tolkien coined called a eucatastrophe. It's the turning point in the story where the plot has moved to a point that seems utterly hopeless, and then all of a sudden, an unexpected turn of events occurs, and what seemed to be utterly hopeless blossoms into great good news for the main characters in the story. Now, of course, you and I are not the main characters, but we are the, we are the sub-characters who you're going to find out in a minute receive the benefit from the main character. But the point is, is that the worship service moves then from, from this conflict and from judgment to resolution and grace. And this is exactly the picture that the Apostle John gives to us in, in the Christian life in 1 John in the passage that we just read. Let me give you the context back here about 1 John. John, if you look, if you have your Bibles and if you look at the first three verses of chapter 1, John begins with the stated objective of enabling his readers to enter into fellowship with the triune God. That is the purpose of our life, is to commune and have fellowship with the living triune God. And that's John's purpose here. And based on the nature of God, John proceeds from verses 1 to 3 to lay out the framework upon which fellowship with God is possible. To be in fellowship with God is to have salvation. And so the framework that John gives for fellowship with God is very simple. It's very uncomplicated. Here it is. Let me give it to you, and then we're going to walk through it. Verse 5, John says first, the holiness of God. Then verses 6, 8, and 10, John says forth the sinfulness of man. In chapter 2, verses 1 and 2, he says forth the gospel for sinners. Or better yet said, he says forth the gospel for Christians who sin. Look at verse 5. He sets forth his thesis statement for fellowship with God. He says, God is light, and in him is no darkness at all. God is light means God is holy. 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 16, Paul says, God alone has immortality, and he dwells in unapproachable light, unapproachable holiness. 
So the point John is making about fellowship with God is very simple. God who is holy cannot have fellowship with that which is unholy or darkness. God is perfectly holy. He is light, and he's totally opposed to all that is sinful, that is, which is darkness. The prophet Habakkuk in Habakkuk 1 verse 13 says of God, you who are of purer eyes than to see evil and look at wrong. God cannot do this. In 2 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 14, Paul asked the sinning Corinthian believers, what fellowship has light with darkness? So God who is perfectly holy cannot have fellowship with that which is darkness. So that's the first point John makes. Then look at verses 6, 8, and 10. John, having set forth the holiness of God, he proceeds to set forth the sinfulness of man. Look at verse 6. In verses 6, 8, and 10, actually verses 6, 8, and 10, what is John doing? He's correcting erroneous claims of false teachers in the church, false believers in the church, who made a profession of faith, but yet they did not take sin seriously. So John picks up the first false claim in verse 6, and look what he says. He says, if we say, if we claim, if we profess to have fellowship with him, while we walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. So John refutes the first false claim that a person can profess to have fellowship with God, walk in the light, be in fellowship with God, have salvation, and yet continue in a life of unrepentant sin. The believer, John says, who walks in the light does not and cannot continue in unrepentant sin. The Christian, John says, who is in fellowship with God, who walks in the light, his life or her life is characterized by a life of repentance. Why? Because the whole of the gospel is contained under two headings, repentance and the forgiveness of sins. So that's the first false claim. Here's the second. Look at verse 8. John says this in verse 8. If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. So here in verse 8, John refutes another false claim that a person who professes to have fellowship with God, they're walking in the light, I'm a Christian, I have salvation, but they say they have ceased to sin. Verse 8. So John makes no pretense of the Christian achieving perfection in this life because as we learned in the prayer of confession last week as well, the confession teaches us that we sin against God in thought, word, and deed and against our neighbor continually. We are guilty of sins of omission and commission. And so John says anyone who claims to have ceased to sin who's come into a perfect life, he says they are deceived and the truth, the word of God, which is either law or gospel, and in this case, he's talking about the law's function. The law, the word of God is not in him. Then look at the third false claim in verse 10. In verse 10, John's refuting the false claim that a person professes to have fellowship with God and they say they've never sinned. So this isn't just they've ceased to sin. They say, I've never sinned. And so this is what John says. He says, if we say we have not sinned, 
We make him, that is God, a liar, and his word, the law, is not in us. Why? Because the Holy Spirit takes God's word of law and convicts us that we're sinners, that we have sinned. John says the person who claims to be in fellowship with God but denies the reality of sin makes God to be a liar. Why? Because God in his word has said this, all men, Jew and Gentile, have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And so John here refutes three false claims of anyone who professes to have fellowship with God but then doesn't take sin seriously. So in contrast to those who, who do not take sin seriously but profess to be in fellowship with God, John says those who are in fellowship with God acknowledge and confess their sin. They take their sin very seriously. So look what John says. He says that those who are walking in the light, those who are in fellowship with God, do not live an unrepentant lifestyle. They do not live in unrepentant sin. They do not claim to have ceased from sin, and they do not deny the reality of sin. John says those who are in fellowship with God confess their sins. Look at verse 9. And here's where he introduces, begins to introduce to us in his letter, the gospel for sinners, the gospel for Christians who sin. He says in verse 9, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Confession of sins is is the proper response of those who are, John says, in fellowship with God. If you're walking in the light, John says, then it is made evident by the fact that you are always agreeing with God about his sentence against you. So this is the proper response of God's gathered guests as they hear the demands of God's law read to them. John is teaching us that new life by the Holy Spirit, fellowship with God who is light, who is holy, produces in believers agreement with the law's just sentence against us for our sins. We confess our sins. We see examples of believers confessing their sins all throughout Scripture. Let me just give you a couple this morning. Um, In the book of Ezra, in Ezra chapter 9, Ezra has a very long confession of sin. He hears the news of the unlawful marriages of the remnant of God's people who have come back into the land And they're intermarrying with religions, false religions, followers of false religions. So they've just come out of exile under the curse, and they're already rebelling again, sinning again. And so the Bible says that Ezra falls on his knees, and he confesses to God the sins of the people. Listen to his confession. He says, Ezra chapter 9, beginning verse 5, At the evening sacrifice, I rose from my fasting with my garment and my cloak torn and fell upon my knees and spread out my hands to the Lord my God, saying, Oh, my God, I am ashamed and blush to lift my face to you. My God, for our iniquities have risen higher than our heads and our guilt has mounted up to the heavens. From the days of our fathers to this day, we have been in great guilt. 
And for our iniquities, we, our kings and our priests, have been given into the hand of the kings of the lands, to the sword, to captivity, to plundering, and to utter shame, as it is today. And now, O our God, what shall we say after this? For which we have forsaken your commandments, which you commanded by your servants and the prophets, saying, The land that you are entering to take possession of it is a land of impure with the impurity of the peoples of the land, with their abominations that have filled it from end to end with their uncleanness. Therefore, do not give your daughters to their sons, neither take their daughters for your sons, and never seek their peace or prosperity, that you may be strong and eat the good of the land and leave it for an inheritance to your children. So this is what God's law required. Do not intermarry with these people. Have nothing to do with them. Do not commit this great act of sin. And then Ezra says, And after all that has come upon us for our evil deeds and for our great guilt, seeing that you, our God, have punished us less than our iniquities deserved. You have punished us less than our iniquities have deserved. What a confession. And have given us such a remnant as this. Shall we break your commandments again and intermarry with the peoples who practice these abominations? Would you not be angry with us until you consumed us so that there should be no remnant nor any to escape? O Lord, the God of Israel, you are just, for we are left a remnant that has escaped as it is today. Behold, we are before you in our guilt, for none can stand before you because of this. What a confession of sin. Listen to the prophet Daniel He was reading the prophet Jeremiah when he was in Babylon under the curse of the covenant in Babylonian captivity. And he found out from reading Jeremiah why he and the Jewish people were in Babylonian exile, why they were under the curse of the Mosaic covenant, which he mentions in chapter 9, verse 11 in his confession. And so in response to the curse of God's judgment, He confesses his own people's sins and his own sins, and he cries out to God and asks for forgiveness and mercy. Listen to his confession. He says, Then I turned my face to the Lord God, seeking him by prayer, and pleas for mercy with fasting and sackcloth and ashes. I prayed to the Lord my God and made confession, saying, O Lord, the great and awesome God, who keeps covenant and steadfast love with those who love him and keep his commandments. We have sinned and done wrong and acted wickedly and rebelled, turning aside from your commandments and your rules. We have not listened to your servants, the prophets, who spoke in your name to our kings, our princes, and our fathers, and to all the people of the land. To you, O Lord, belongs righteousness, but to us open shame, as it is this day, to the men of Judah, to the inhabitants of Jerusalem, and to all Israel, those who are near and those who are far away, in all the lands to which you have driven them because of the treachery that they have committed against you. To us, O Lord, belongs open shame, to our kings, to our princes, and to our fathers, because we have sinned against you. To the Lord our God belong mercy and forgiveness. 
For we have rebelled against him and have not obeyed the voice of the Lord our God by walking in his laws, which he set before us by his servants, the prophets. All Israel has transgressed your law and turned aside, refusing to obey your voice. And the curse and oath that are written in the law of Moses, the servant of God, have been poured out upon us because we have sinned against him. Now, therefore, O our God, listen to the prayer of your servant and to his pleas for mercy. And for your own sake, O Lord, make your face to shine upon your sanctuary, which is desolate. O my God, incline your ear and hear. Open your eyes and see our desolations and the city that is called by your name. For we do not present our pleas before you because of our righteousness, but because of your great mercy. O Lord, hear. O Lord, forgive. O Lord, pay attention and act. Do not delay for your own sake, O my God, because your city and your people are called by your name. What a confession of sin. What a confession. And then we come to David in the Psalms, King David, probably the best known of the penitential Psalms is Psalm 51. We pray it here in the church in our liturgy week after week in our confession. David composed Psalm 51 as a result of Nathan the prophet convicting him of adultery with Bathsheba and then arranging for the murder of Bathsheba's husband, Uriah the Hittite. So if you're bewailing your sin this morning, remember that King David, (laughs) I think he probably blew it a little bit more than you did this morning. Listen to his prayer of confession that he wrote in response to those grave and great sins. Have mercy on me, O God, according to your steadfast love. According to your abundant mercy, blot out my transgressions. Wash me thoroughly from my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. For I know my transgressions and my sin is ever before me. Against you, you only have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight so that you may be justified in your words and blameless in your judgment. Behold, I was brought forth in iniquity and in sin did my mother conceive me. Behold, you delight in truth in the inward being, and you teach me wisdom in the secret heart. Purge me with hyssop, and I shall be clean. Wash me, and I shall be whiter than snow. Let me hear joy and gladness. Let the bones that you have broken rejoice. Hide your face from my sins and blot out all my iniquities. Create in me a clean heart, O God. And renew a right spirit within me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation and uphold me with a willing spirit. Great confession. And then we have the Apostle Paul, which we read last week. In Romans chapter 7, the Apostle Paul makes his famous wretched man that I am confession. And that wretched man confession that he makes is the shared experience of every believer. He says this, and he confesses, for I do not understand my own actions, for I do not do what I want, but I do the very thing I hate, for I do not do the good I want, but the evil I do not want is what I keep on doing. 
So I find it to be a law that when I want to do right, evil lies close at hand. For I delight in the law in my inner being, law of God in my inner being, but I see in my members another law, waging war against the law of my mind and making me captive to the law of sin that dwells in my members. Wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? So those are examples from believers who are walking in the light. That is what it looks like to walk in fellowship with God. It is to acknowledge and confess and express sorrow and repentance for your sin. But I want you to understand this. I don't want you to let being humbled before God and confessing your sin be heard as bad news this morning. Because that's not where John leaves us in 1 John. Listen to John Calvin. He says, It is of great moment to be fully persuaded that when we have sinned, there is a reconciliation with God ready and prepared for us, or otherwise we shall always carry a hell within us. You don't have to carry that hell within you because of the good news is that absolution always follows confession. Thanks, John. The message you're listening to is called A Place for Confession. We'll hear the concluding part four of this message next time. The heart of Him We Proclaim is to bring you the gospel of good news each weekday. With each message, our prayer is you would hear, believe, and enjoy the gospel in your life. If you want to re-listen to or share any of these messages, you can find our smartphone app or locate our podcast by searching for Dr. John Fonville or Him We Proclaim. Him We Proclaim is a broadcast of Dr. John Fonville. If you would like to learn more about his local church in Jacksonville, Florida, you can visit ParamountChurch.com. Thanks for listening, and we hope you'll join us next time.